0: In introducing this text, I said that possibly you could read this as a continuation of the parables in chapter 13. And there's a few clues, one being that uh, the parables talk about seeds and wheat and yeast, all of which make bread, and they also talk about fish. So there's a few links. But the other link is, of course, that the parables... Tell us that the, in chapter 13 that the kingdom is universal, it's for everyone, it brings in everyone, no one is left out. The field is the world, there's a field full of treasure, it's the world. The net brings all the fish in. It's like the feeding of the 5,000 is telling us this story for the dim of sight. And the heart of hearing this is the way the world really is this is the way God meant it to be a world of abundance and it's a ridiculous story it's much bigger than even possible to imagine scholars estimate that would have been around if you got all the villages of the Galilee together there would have been around 600 people this story Tells us of 10 times, maybe more than 10 times that number. Where do these people come from? Why is this so ridiculous? Why are there 12 baskets of food left over, even though everybody got to eat? It's a story of extravagance and abundance, and it's a bit sort of offensive and shocking. We. We would like a quieter, gentler story, like we do communion. We're going to do it a little bit later on with tiny little bits of bread and small amounts. Why we like to be civilised? There's nothing civilised about this story at all. One of the reasons it's not is because it's a piece of political theatre at its very best. Because before this text, so the end of chapter 13 of all those wonderful stories about what it means to be the kingdom there's a little couple of verses before we get to this story of the feeding of the 5,000, the beginning of chapter 14, and that's the story of Herod, the king, who has John the Baptist arrested, and at his birthday party, at Herod's birthday party, he has John executed. So here we've got two feasts, the feast of Herod and the feast of Jesus. His feast. Herod's feast is full of the machinations and the paranoia and the excesses of power. Herod's feast was for the 1%. Jesus' feast was for the 99%. The rest of us, the great unwashed. Herod's feast took place in a palace with walls around it to make sure that only the elite were in and the rest were out. Jesus' feast takes place in the open air. Anybody can come, and literally everybody does. Ten times, everybody comes. Herod's feast is about who's in power and how you control things, and it ends, ends up in death. Jesus' feast is, is about freedom and openness, and it ends up in abundant life, so much life that there's 12 baskets of the stuff left over. But of course the world's not like that. Jesus' feast is it? It's like Herod's feast. It's a hard place for all of those of us who are not at the top, not in the one percent, and it's hard for them as they scramble to stay there. It's everyone for for themselves in this story. The post-war consensus that we have lived with is now in tatters. It started to unravel in the early 1970s, and now we're in the the most unequal society we've been in since the end of the 19th century. Inequality is rising. Housing stress is everywhere. Insecure work is the way it is for so many younger people. I'm wondering whether the opposition that we're hearing to the voice, to Parliament, has as much to do with people's fear of their situation as it has to do with their opposition to Indigenous rights. I'm wondering whether it's more to do with the fact that in 1967, when we overwhelmingly voted in favour of recognition of Indigenous Australians in the Constitution in a different way, that that was at the height of the post-war consensus. That was at the height when everything looked really good. We didn't know it at the time, but it was the Height before the fall, but that was the best time to be alive in Australia. People felt more comfortable, more relaxed, more positive about their lives, whereas today they don't. I don't know, I haven't, haven't read any commentary on this, it's just my feeling that we're now living in a slightly different world than we were in 67. And of course the disciples had a plan. They said, look, Jesus, send the crowds away so that they may go to, into the villages and buy food for themselves. It's a sensible, practical and achievable plan. It makes perfect sense. Because that's the world we're in. It's everybody for themselves. You're just going to have to look after yourselves. It's those who have a go or get a go. Would it work in practice? Well, who knows? I mean, 600 people in the villages around them. Now there's 10 times that number of 5,000 men and countless numbers of women and children would it have worked? Well probably not but it worked on paper and that's important is it a good idea to keep raising interest rates so that people are extreme having extreme housing stress and unemployment rises well well, yes of course because it works on paper and the good thing about it of course is it's sending them away and we're really good at away here aren't we we're good at Manus Island, Christmas Island, Nauru, New Zealand, Malaysia, that one didn't work out, the town camps outside of Darwin and Alice Springs and the other places. We're really good at a way, climate change, we'll let somebody further down the track deal with it. Most of us are old in here, we'll be fine, probably. Jesus, though, has a massive critique of this world view. And he says, they need not go away. The kingdom of God, Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, is not coming with things that could be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom is here now. They need not go away because there is no away. There's just here, there's just now. And the truth of the world that Jesus lives in is a world full of abundance and freedom, a world full of joy and welcome for all. So he says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. But this is a deserted place, the disciples say. And the hour is late. This is the wrong place, and this is the wrong time, and we have nothing, we're the wrong people. Well, we've got something, we've got a couple of loaves and a few fish, but it's not enough. The point is, this is all wrong, this shouldn't be us, it should be somebody else. Surely the government, surely the leaders of the Uniting Church. Surely the local capital, surely somebody, but not us. Because this is a deserted place. We are a deserted people. But Jesus said, the kingdom is here now. It's within you. It doesn't feel like that. (coughs) Excuse me. Barack Obama said in 2008, in the lead-up to his presidential campaign, we are the ones we've been waiting for. He was most likely quoting a female South African poet uh, in a poem about the women of South Africa. We are the ones we've been waiting for. What if it's true? Well, Jesus says it is. What if it's true that us, those of us sitting here right now, the people sitting next to you, we're the ones we've been waiting for. What if the kingdom is really alive Amongst us now, what if we are the ones called to give them each other something to eat? What if the kingdom is for all of us, and not just all of us collectively, but all of whom we are, all of who I am, not just the good bits of me, the bits that scrub up on a Sunday morning, not just the bits that I'm comfortable with but all the bits that I hide away, not only from you and from the people I love, but also from myself. What if the divided me no longer needs to be divided? What if the all of you is the all of me and the all of you as an individual, as well as the all of us together? What if we never need to censor ourselves? What if we never need to sort of police our thoughts? What if we never need to worry that if we were to say something wrong, somebody would say, oh, I I didn't think you were that kind of person. That place where we could be completely relaxed and at home. What if that's what the kingdom is? And what if we are being called to, even in this deserted place, and I don't know about you, but there's plenty of days in my week where I'm living at least in my head, in a very deserted place? What even if this deserted place, there is an abundance? What if it's just there? What if it's the ordinary stuff that the parables tell us about? Seeds and wheat and birds and fish, the kinds of things that we need every day to live. In a few minutes we will do what Jesus seems to do at the end of this parable. We will lift up bread and fish. We'll lift up bread and wine. And we will say that these things, these ordinary things, which turn out to be extraordinary miraculous, because we will take them into us and they will change us. They will literally become part of us. And it won't be enough to sustain us, But it will be a symbol of what we will do. Those of us who are fortunate, in a few minutes after this, we will go and eat. And if we're really fortunate, we will go and eat with people we care about. And we will tell each other things that are true. And that will be an experience of the kingdom. That will be life in a deserted place. That will be an abundance with so much left over. Because when Jesus said, you give them something to eat, and they mumble about, oh, we've got this, and we'll send them away, and they come up with their loaf, their loaves and a couple of fish, and Jesus said, bring them here. What he's saying is, bring them, bring who you are into the centre of the truth of the world. Bring them present, into this moment, into the fact that this is the way God has made the world and made you. Bring yourself present to this because this is a lot, the world is alive and full of God all the time. You can sleep through it. I know you can because I do most of the time. It's possible, it's easy to do. But when you're awake, when you're alive to the moment, you experience what has always been present the kingdom of God among you and within you. They all were fed until they were full.